Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my regular co-host, Frosty Rucker, is on the injured list this week, having lost his voice. So I'm glad to have Matthew Lowry, the editor of Conquest Chronicles, SB Nation's USC website, joining me on short notice to record this show on a Wednesday night. Matthew, thanks so much for stepping in and being the next man up. Thank you for having me. I always appreciate coming on, talking some USC football and also talking some college football. So I appreciate you having me. Really glad to have you on, and if you enjoy listening to the Believe in USC football podcast, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Please subscribe and rate our show wherever you want to listen. And of course, the website is Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matthew, where can they find you and Conquest Chronicles on social media? You can find Conquest Chronicles on Twitter at C Chronicles SBN. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Matt A. Lowry. I'm usually on there talking USC football, talking college football and sports in general. So easy and enjoyable follow on both spectrums. First, a word from my bookie. It's an exciting time for sports. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual threat quarterback. Odds on Jackson to win the MVP race were at 50 to 1 to begin the season and have plummeted since making my bookie's prop selection more attractive than ever. Then, on the 14th, we have one of the most stacked UFC cards in a long time. Three championship fights, all highly anticipated, right in the betting capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go, my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sportsbook around. 
If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid. After Utah's loss to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, the Utes dropped from possible playoff consideration to the Alamo Bowl, which in turn sent USC to the Holiday Bowl in San Diego on Friday, December 27th versus Iowa of the Big Ten. The Hawkeyes are ranked number 16 by the College Football Playoff Committee and 19th by both the AP and coaches' polls. They finished 9-3 overall, 6-3 in the Big Ten, good for third place in the West Division. Matthew, what is your initial reaction to the Trojans getting this bowl matchup? I wasn't surprised when the announcement came out. This was something that Dina and I discussed on our podcast the week of Championship Week, so before Championship Week took place. And as the game went on, I kind of knew, all right, USC is going to go to the Holiday Bowl. I didn't see Utah getting into a New Year Six Bowl game, especially after that performance in the Pac-12 championship game. Now, if Utah would have played the game a little bit closer, then Utah would have gotten a nod to play in a New Year Six Bowl game, most likely the Cotton Bowl. But that wasn't the case. Now, there were some reports that were saying the Alamo Bowl could have taken USC instead because they go off of conference records. I've seen that they go off of conference records. I've seen another one say that they have to take the highest ranked Pac-12 team. So I don't know how that goes. It really it's beyond me right now on how that goes. But it wasn't surprising. I think that's the likely scenario. It was a good scenario considering everything that's taken place. I think the risk for the Alamo Bowl was, were USC fans going to travel to Texas? Now, that would have been a good matchup, USC and Texas. That would have been an interesting matchup to see once again. But I think a lot of people were wondering, or I think maybe it fell down to, were USC fans going to travel to San Antonio? Because mind you, the Alamo Bowl never hosted USC. But was it going to be enough? Were they going to draw enough? to fill up the Alamo Dome. I think that was a concern compared to Utah where they knew Utah was going to draw. And the Holiday Bowl just right down the five for USC fans. So I think they knew they could draw USC fans there. Certainly Iowa fans are going to travel. They travel all over the place. But I'm not surprised that the Holiday Bowl was it. I felt that was a good fit for them. And I felt this was the right idea, especially knowing the Alamo Bowl was unknown about USC and how they would attend or how they would represent. Yeah, that is a very good point. I had a feeling that Utah was going to blow it in the title game. And because of that, I felt that they would end up going to the Alamo Bowl, putting USC into the Holiday Bowl, which is where we are, like I said. And yeah, apparently the Alamo Bowl had an option that they didn't have to take Utah necessarily. They could have chosen USC if they wanted to. However, the right thing to do was to take Utah. Utah was clearly the better team in conference despite the loss to USC. So Alamo Bowl with the second choice should take the second best team in the conference. So after losing to Oregon, that 
was Utah. And I truly believe that USC fans, even with the juicy matchup against Texas, there would have been plenty who would not have made that trip to San Antonio, despite the fact that San Antonio is a fun city and it would have been USC's first trip to the Alamo Bowl, which is always something fun and historic as well. I think the Alamo Bowl probably made the right decision to take Utah and the Holiday Bowl, which again, even though it's down the road, there are still so many USC fans upset. We'll get to the reasons why in a little bit, but they still might not get a ton of SC fans. Like you said, though, Iowa fans will travel, so they'll still probably be able to pack a bunch of the seats at the San Diego County Credit Union Stadium, formerly Qualcomm Stadium, formerly Jack Murphy Stadium. <laughs> that's a long name for a stadium. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why they use the abbreviation SDCCU for the San Diego County Credit Union. And technically, it's the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl because they are the sponsor of the bowl game as well as having the naming rights on the stadium. But I'm old. I like to call it the Murph still because I still think of it oh. as Jack Murphy Stadium because I'm an old guy. I call it Qualcomm because that's all I ever known was Qualcomm. Yeah, because you're younger than me, Matthew. Thanks for making me feel old. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> but yeah, so I think Iowa fans will definitely travel, which means it's going to be an Iowa home field advantage despite the fact that San Diego is much closer to USC than it is to Iowa. But guess what? Iowa fans want to get out of the cold. Yeah, They're thrilled to be coming to San Diego in December for a bowl game. Meanwhile, USC fans are, eh, holiday bowl. Again, we'll get to all of that in a bit. But let's talk a little bit about Iowa. Despite the fact that they have three losses, those three losses were only by a combined 14 points against three pretty good teams, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin. They beat then number seven Minnesota on November 16th when the Gophers were 9-0 and and riding high and basically hurt Minnesota's chances of making it to the Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis. That ended up being Wisconsin going to lose to Ohio State. And of course, Kirk Ferentz, their head coach, has been there forever, the dean of Big Ten coaching. And it's going to be really a matchup of strength versus strength because USC, 19th overall ranked offense, 5th in passing offense in the country is going up against the number 12 ranked total defense in the country in the Hawkeyes, only giving up 304 yards a game and 10th against the pass, only allowing 184 yards on average. They're also good against the rush, even though recently, of course, USC has basically gone away from the running game. Although we'll see if you have a fully healthy Vivai Malapai and Stephen Carr for the bowl game if SC might run the ball more. But of course, Iowa's offense is not very good. They are 98th overall in the country, just under 370 yards a game, very mediocre in the past, 230 yards a game, 67th ranked, and normally you'd think of Iowa as being a good running team, but this year, 96th in the country, 139 and a half yards a game, so obviously I think the big matchup is whether USC's high-powered passing offense can keep it up against what should be the toughest defense possibly that SC is going to see all season. Yeah, I would agree with that. One of the things that I made note was that I'm interested to see how Iowa defends USC's air raid. We know USC has one of the best wide receiving cores in the nation. I don't think Iowa's seen anything like that. I don't think they've seen an offense like USC's this season. 
where you have a freshman quarterback slinging the ball all over the place and he has a group of receivers who are really good guys who if they go to any other school they're a number one number two receiver so that is what I'm interested in now I will say with Iowa and you mentioned it they're a balanced offense they balance the ball very well but Iowa to me is a tale of two teams because you don't know which Iowa you're gonna get in my opinion I've watched Iowa's games and sometimes I just go they're competing in the Big Ten but there's not a lot for me to go Iowa can win this game I think Iowa can win this game because of if it boils down to coaching but that's another story for a later time right but if we look at this If USC plays the way USC's been playing the last five to six games, USC should be able to win this by two scores. Now, will USC win this by two scores is another question itself. But I think the ability of Iowa to run the football is going to be very telling. And I think they have that ability because look at what Notre Dame did to USC early in the season. That tells a lot right there. Iowa will have the ability to run the football. Iowa, if they can get a hold of USC in the trenches, Iowa can have a good day running the ball. That's all they got to do. That's all really Iowa has to do. If they find success on the ground, this will be a much closer game than what it should be. I mean, to me, in my opinion, I'm kind of surprised Iowa is favored in this game, but that's just me. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the coaching, (laughs) honestly. Yes. And again, we will get to that a little bit later, but it really is. Iowa plays ugly football. Let's just be honest. It's ugly football. And it's effective, though, in a lot of ways because they muck up the game. They limit possessions, which, again, SC is going to want more possessions. That's what most air raid offenses want, quick strikes. A lot of scores, a lot of possessions, high-scoring games. Iowa's the opposite. They want to keep it low-scoring, muck it up. And like you said, if they are able to establish a run, which they've had a more difficult time doing this season than they have in previous seasons under Kirk Ferentz, then, yeah, SC could be in trouble. That's not the type of game USC wants to be playing in in San Diego on December 27th. Now, it is... On paper, a good matchup because you've got two ranked teams going against each other. Again, in the college football playoff committee rankings, Iowa's number 16, USC is number 22, and it's one of only three non-New Year's Six Bowl games featuring two ranked teams. The other two are the Citrus Bowl, which has number 13 Alabama against number 14 Michigan, and the Outback Bowl, which has number 12 Auburn against number 18 Minnesota. So in theory, this should be one of the better bowl games in the numerous bowls that are going to be played out throughout the holiday season. And we should make note of this as well. This will be the first meeting between these two schools since the 2003 Orange Bowl, which USC won 38-17. That game established the beginning of the Pete Carroll era of dominance that USC would go on to have over the next few years. In that game, quarterback Carson Palmer, the Heisman Trophy winner of that season, had a big game, 303 yards, a touchdown, and won the game MVP. Although you can make an argument that MVP should have gone to running back Justin Fargus. Trojan fans, you remember Justin Fargus, the guy who transferred into USC from Michigan. He was an L.A. kid. He had 20 carries, 122 yards, and two touchdowns in that game. And so there are a lot of good memories for USC from the last time that they played Iowa. But 
In terms of holiday bowls, we've been to a couple in the last six seasons. One, one of them against Nebraska under Steve Sarkeesian and then lost to Wisconsin the very next season under Clay Helton. So it's been a mixed bag. I was at that Wisconsin game. Oof, that was ugly. <laughs> it was cold. It was ugly. It wasn't it. Now, I will say, going back to Iowa, don't they kind of remind you of Stanford a little bit in Wisconsin based off of their style? Maybe it's just me, but I feel like when you mentioned they limit possessions in which they do, it kind of reminds me of Stanford. Yeah, in a lot of ways, you have a lot of the same philosophies. It's definitely more of the pro style type of offense and based on winning the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That's what Kirk Ferentz believes in. That's how he's built that Iowa program. And that's how they've been successful over the years. And like I said, even in their three losses against three really good teams, they kept it close because those games were ugly games. And you do see a lot more of that in the Big Ten. It's just a different style of ball that's played in a lot of ways in the Midwest compared to the high-flying Pacific Coast, Pac-12 type of football, which things are changing nowadays. You see the way Ohio State plays. You see the way teams are playing across the country. And you've gone to a lot more of spread offenses all around. But yeah, Iowa is a team that can dirty it up. And you're right, probably the closest thing to them in the Pac-12 would be Stanford. So that's a good comparison there. And SE was able to take out Stanford this year, a down year for the Cardinal, but still did take them out. And so Trojan fans can only hope that that will be the case down in San Diego. The game will be at 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 p.m. for those of you on the East Coast, and it will be televised by FS1. Now, a word from 8 Sleep. Dot com. Let's talk about sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. I know personally, with all the different types of work that you do, sometimes I'm not able to get eight hours of sleep. And one of sleep's biggest problems, temperature. Tough to get good sleep if you're too hot. I want to tell you about the Pod by 8Sleep. The Pod by 8Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool and your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. They already sold out of their first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash pro. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. 8sleep.com slash pro. All right, Matthew, now let's go and talk about the awards that were handed out by the Pac-12 conference this week. First, the all-conference teams 
three USC Trojans named first-team All-Pac-12, wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr., offensive tackle Austin Jackson, and defensive tackle Jay Tufele on the second team. Guard Elijah Vera Tucker on offense, and on the defensive side, freshman defensive end Drake Jackson, and safety Talanoa Hufanga. And special teams also got a shout-out on the second team. Return specialists went to Velas Jones. And in an interesting one, all-purpose slash special teams second-teamer Michael Pittman Jr. Can't say I recall Michael Pittman Jr. doing a ton on special teams, but he was voted in to the All-Pac-12 second team there. Honorable mention, meaning they received votes as well. Wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns. John Houston, the senior linebacker, cornerback Elijah Griffin, kicker Chase McGrath, and freshman quarterback Keaton Slovis, who also won the Pac-12's Freshman Offensive Player of the Year award. He becomes the fourth Trojan to win the award following in the footsteps of Sam Darnold, Marquise Lee, and Robert Woods. The award's only been around since 2009, if you're wondering why it's only recent guys. Overall, in the conference, the Offensive Player of the Year was given to Utah running back Zach Moss. The Pat Tillman Defensive Player of the Year goes to Cal linebacker Evan Weaver. And the Freshman Defensive Player of the Year was Oregon Defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. And Coach of the Year went to Utah Head Coach Kyle Whittingham. Any surprises there for you in terms of what the Pac-12 gave out? No, no surprises, in my opinion. I felt with Offensive Player of the Year, Michael Pittman had an argument based off of what he did. But with Zach Moss, he is such a huge difference maker for the Utes. You saw how Utah was without Zach Moss. The running game looked like it was a struggle. So I think that's what played a factor into it, was how Utah was without Zach Moss. Not only that, Utah was quote unquote, and I say this in quotes, was the better team in conference despite not winning the conference title. Other than that, I saw no surprises. I felt like everything was right. I think USC had a huge upgrade in terms of total of players who were honored. But if they want to get to the Utahs of the world, which Utah I think had the most selections, if they want to get to that level, they got a, a ways to go. Yeah, they definitely do. Although, of course, there are going to be a lot of returning guys expected to come back to play for SC. Although we know Michael Pittman Jr. will be moving on to the next level. Tyler Vaughns will have a decision to make. He is a redshirt junior. Austin Jackson, another junior who in some draft projections is going middle of the first round. So if that's the case, he may choose to go as well. So we'll see what happens there with any of the guys who have draft eligibility if they so choose. So we'll see how many people are coming back. But obviously, great sign that Keaton Slovis got the Freshman Offensive Player of the Year, and he obviously will be back. The only thing that's a little surprising to me is that with the awards being handed out after the conference championship game, that there weren't more Oregon players maybe who got awards considering they actually won the championship and so you might be able to make an argument that Mario Cristobal should have won coach of the year for winning the title and Justin Herbert not making first or second team is a little bit surprising well when were the awards voted on 
I think that's where it boils down to because were the awards voted before the conference championship or were they voted after? I believe they were voted after. Okay. That's where I was trying to figure it out because it seems like when they made all the decisions, like Kyle Whittingham winning coach of the year, Justin Herbert, which I was surprised Justin Herbert wasn't on first team. Considering how he played, I felt he should have been on first team. But that's why I was led to believe, was this voted on before conference championships and they just revealed it? Because I saw a lot of conferences, they were announcing all conference awards and honors before conference championships even took place. Yeah, from what I was reading, though, it seemed as though the awards for the Pac-12 were voted on after the conference title game, although it would make more sense if the voting had been before the conference title game based on some of the results that we saw. But yeah, as far as I can tell from what I've read, it's that the coaches voted after the title game, or at least they were required to put it in by after the game. The deadline was after the Pac-12 championship game. But I know maybe Justin Herbert didn't light it up as many maybe expected him to, but the fact that you can make an argument for sure that Tyler Huntley being the leader of Utah and keeping them going while Zach Moss was hurt and being one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country, you could have him maybe over Justin Herbert, but I'm a little bit surprised that Anthony Gordon at Washington State, despite the big numbers that he put up, I mean, it's an air raid and you're throwing all the time for Mike Leach, you're going to put up big numbers, but... Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised there that he got the second team nod. And the fact is, Oregon only got one first team player at all. And that's a guy who's a consensus All-American in offensive tackle Panay Sewell. And if you don't vote him first team, I mean, you're crazy. So he had to be there. But the other guys they got, they had three second teamers in terms of C.J. Verdell was the second team running back. Troy Dye, the senior linebacker. Shane Lemieux, the offensive lineman, was another second-team pick for Oregon. So yeah, it's a bit surprising that the team that actually won the championship didn't get more honors, but that's just kind of how it goes, I guess, for Oregon. Hey, they won the Pac-12 championship, so they'll get to go to the Rose Bowl, and it's just a little bit interesting that they didn't get more awards there. And another award that I'd like to mention is the head guy for USC this year, Michael Pittman Jr. He won a national award, the Pop Warner National College Football Award, which is given to the graduating senior who has made a difference on the field, in the classroom, and in his community, and serves as a role model to Pop Warner's young student athletes. Michael Pittman got to take a trip to Orlando on Tuesday and accept the award in person at the Pop Warner National Championships that they hold in Orlando. So really just props to a really good guy, a guy who's played well on the field, but also is known for all the things he does off the field. And I don't think you can say really anything bad about Michael Pittman Jr. The kid really matured into such a leader and such a presence for the USC Trojan team. I can't disagree with that. Pittman is just, he's always been about other people and trying to make sure everybody is happy and stuff like that. I don't know if you remember 
it was before the Oregon game. There was a kid, or it was after the Oregon game. There was a kid who was hoping to see Michael Pittman. And I think Pittman missed them by accident. It, it was during the Trojan walk. It's easy to miss people during the Trojan walk. Yeah, and he had his headphones on too, so he couldn't hear. Yeah, Dina and I were at the Trojan walk, so you can understand how people end up getting missed. So there was a picture, and Pittman found the picture. It was like, hey, if anybody knows the dad's Twitter account, tell him to come see me. I want to repay him for it. And I think he went to his house. He actually went to his house and signed a jersey for him, actually. So it was really cool. Yep, that's just the kind of guy that Michael Pittman Jr. is. And again, he also, unlike some of the other guys in recent years who have chosen not to play in bowl games, he made it clear right away that he will be playing for USC in the Holiday Bowl. Obviously, I think it's a little bit easier because it's not like he is a top 10 pick. I think he's going to be underrated. I think at best he's going to go somewhere in the second round because there are so many good receivers coming out. And again, that's a position where you can find guys lower. You don't necessarily have to spend first round picks on receivers, but he's going to be a steal for someone in the second round, I believe, just like Juju Smith-Schuster, just like a lot of other guys have come out and been for USC and other schools you don't have to be a first round draft pick to succeed in the NFL as a wide receiver so now Matt let's move on to something that Frosty and I went over last week so I won't do too much of it but since I've got you on this week we got to get your reaction to USC keeping Clay Helton and how that all went down just we'll begin with that give me your thoughts on Clay Helton remaining as USC's head coach oh man so now that I have some time to absorb this I feel I feel like with USC with Mike Bowen and Carol Folt with them wanting to keep Helton I felt like they didn't look at everything from a whole now as more is coming out, you're starting to see why they kept Helton. You're reading about, well, everyone else said no, or they didn't want to pay other candidates as much to the buyout was reportedly higher than the $20 million that we were hearing for Clay Helton and his staff. Either way, here's the thing. USC is USC. I keep telling people, I know USC has the money somewhere. You're USC. So... You can't hold on to a guy because his buyout is high. If you want to reach that next level, Clay Helton is not it. And to me, and I've seen a lot of players say, well, this is the right move because of what's going on at USC because Clay Helton brings stability. Well, we've been hearing this for the last few years. Five and seven last year should have been a fireable offense. So let's start there. I feel like USC, I feel like with the athletic director, with Mike Bowen and and USC, they're not looking at this from a whole. I feel like they just looked at, well, USC won their last three games and they finished at eight and four. And that's fine. For other programs, that's fine. At USC, you're looking to compete for a Pac-12 title. So I, I didn't agree with it. And I failed to see why they did it. I know a lot of people are not happy with it. I feel like with USC, they basically went tone deaf. They basically went, hey, we understand you guys, or hey, we hear you guys, but we don't hear you guys. We're going to keep Helton because, I don't know, I guess they believe that he's the guy to lead them. I don't see it, but what I want to see is, are they going to make changes? Are they hoping that fans buy into that? There have to be changes among the staff. I mean, if you're going to keep Helton and you just keep the same staff, there might be a revolt before the first game at the Coliseum next season. And I think everything you're saying is right. 
I'm surprised too if it's a money thing. And yes, listen, this whole thing is occurring because Lin Swan gave Clay Helton an extension that he shouldn't have given him. And now this administration is stuck with it. But with the amount of discontent among the USC fan base, I think there are plenty of people who would have been happy to donate money to help offset the costs of buyouts and a new coaching staff. And I think money is an easy excuse to use, but I think you're right. It's USC. They could have found a way to pay for it. They are just choosing to go with a guy who's a good guy who finished the season strong. But as I tweeted out today, Clay Helton goes eight and four and people are calling for his head. His brother, Tyson Helton, in his first year coaching at Western Kentucky, goes eight and four and he wins the Conference USA Coach of the Year. It's all about context. We're talking about two different places here. At 8-4 and four at Western Kentucky, coming off a 3-9 and nine season, Tyson Helton's a coach of the year. At 8-4 and four at USC, coming off a 5-7 and seven season, people are shocked that Clay Helton keeps his job. There's different standards. And it's just amazing that they're going to try and ride out at least one more season. And the problem is, I'm going to be doing the Helton hot seat scale all over again next year. Because he's still on the hot seat. It's not a guarantee that he's going to make it beyond next year unless they're ultra successful. And what is going to define ultra successful? Does he have to win the conference? Is that enough to keep him going? Does he have to make the playoff? I mean, who knows? So, yeah, there is plenty of fan discontent right now. We're going to probably see a lot lower numbers in attendance at the Coliseum for games next season. I think the first thing we'll get to notice is how many SC fans will actually be in San Diego for the Holiday Bowl. And where SC goes from here, who knows? But you're right. It's definitely an unsettling situation if you're a USC football fan. I just feel with USC... A lot of people are just fed up with it. And a lot of people are like, well, why Why am I going to spend my money on a program that's not even going to listen to a lot of, of its angry fans, supporters, alums, whatever? I understand there's a difference between putting this on players and stuff and putting this on administration. I think a lot of people are fed up with administration. And I know... Jake Olson, he said it best, and I understood where he was coming from, where he said he was telling people USC football is not its own entity. It's a part of the university, which I wholeheartedly agree with that. And that's true. That's facts. But he said the one thing I didn't agree with is he said USC has to take care of the things that there's a lot of scandals going on with the university itself. And keeping Clay Helton right now is just the right move. And he said, maybe in a year or two, we can revisit this. I don't think fans have a year or two to revisit this. Two, you can't keep saying, well, USC has other things to worry about. This is why you hire an athletic director to make athletic directing moves. This is why you have an athletic director. This is why you have the school president is supposed to handle that stuff. Now, I understand there was stuff that happened within the athletic department that Mike Bowen has to sort through. The FBI college basketball scandals, one that USC is caught up in. USC football is probably is not there when it comes to scandals. So when you want USC and you have Mike Bowen, you come in saying, well, we want to compete for 
conference championships and the college football playoffs and we want to be competitive and we want to win recruiting, Clay Helton does not fit under those standards. He does not fit under those standards that Mike Bowen just said. I feel like Mike Bowen just basically all out said, hey, we're going to be competitive, but you kept Clay Helton. That's kind of the opposite of that. Now, yes, USC won their last three games, and they looked strong in those last three games, but they played ASU without Jaden Daniels. Let's keep that in mind. They played Cal, blew out Cal. They were supposed to blow out Cal. They also not chased Garbers out that game. They beat UCLA. You're supposed to beat UCLA. Three teams who USC was supposed to beat. Look at what happened in the Oregon game. The Washington game, okay, because you had Matt Fink in that game. So uh, that one's kind of tricky. Notre Dame, we saw the Notre Dame game, but did we not see the lack of adjustments made in the Notre Dame game? The BYU game, we can't make excuses for the BYU game. I'm sorry. There's just no excuse for that one. So I'm trying to figure out what constitutes for him to keep his job and why Mike Bowen is saying, well, we want to be competitive. Well, Clay Helton hasn't proven that. He hasn't really proven that. So that's where I, I, I'm just lost in that whole thing. I know people are going to bring up, well, he won the Rose Bowl. He won the Pac-12 championship, but he followed it up with a 5-7 and seven season the following year. Yeah, and that is going to be the question going forward is that what is USC going to do with this situation? Because again, it's not over. He's going to be on the hot seat continuously until he makes the college football playoff. I mean, that's kind of what SC fans are looking for out of USC football. That's what the standard is at USC. It's not about, even in this day and age, it's not just even about winning the Pac-12 and going to a Rose Bowl with a two or three loss team. It's about having at most one loss and trying to compete for a national title. It's about national championships at USC. Those are the banners that they put up at the Coliseum. They're not putting up Holiday Bowl banners. They're putting up national titles. They're putting up conference championships. So, yeah, I think you spoke very well for how most of the USC fan base is feeling. And again, I think a lot of the players like and respect Clay Helton. And again, he's a really good dude. But in terms of a coach to take a team to a championship level, I think most of us are in agreement that a change should have been made. But for a variety of reasons, it was not. So we'll just have to see going forward. We know Clay Helton's the guy, but I would expect some changes to happen on the coaching staff. I think they're going to try and keep Graham Harrell from getting poached by any other team, despite all the rumors out there that some teams are interested in him as an offensive coordinator at other places. And so the key will be to keep that offensive coaching staff, I think, intact. But you may see some changes on the defense and special team side of things. So, Matthew... Any last thoughts before we wrap it up today? I think for USC fans, as frustrating as it is with Clay Helton and with USC, I don't think, and I'll say this, I know fans may disagree with me or something, but I don't think an empty Coliseum is going to help USC get rid of Clay Helton. Now, I think it's going to be based off of the performance and how Clay Helton does as a coach, which we've said multiple times is going to take that where fans have to realize is that USC has a chance they could be favored to win the Pac-12 next year I think the Bama game is going to tell a lot 
I think the games against Washington and Oregon is going to tell a lot, and the games against Notre Dame is going to tell a lot. Next year is going to really tell a lot, and it's going to be interesting on how all of this plays out. So I think USC fans, I understand their frustration, but at the same time, what's done is done now. So now it's only where does USC go from here is where we have to look and see. Exactly. So special thanks to Matthew Lowry, editor of SB Nation's USC website, Conquest Chronicles, for filling in for Frosty Rucker this week. Frosty, we hope your voice gets better soon. If you enjoy listening to our show, you can subscribe and rate our show on iTunes and wherever you find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media at Believe Podcasts. You can find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matthew, let them know again where to find you on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt A. Lowry, and you can follow us at Conquest Chronicles on Twitter at C Chronicles SBN. All right, so I am Nara Wang thanking you for joining us for episode 16 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, remember to fight on. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.